like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness And when he sings to you Welcome back to the Philokadic Book Club. Now, in this episode, I'll be continuing my my study of The Zap Gun by, by Philip K. Dick. This novel was written in 1967, and it deals with issues of consumerism, of, of the Cold War, of the arms race. But as we get to the middle of the, the novel, we learn other thing, that this novel is going to deal with other things as well, such as uh, the nature of toys, the, we got time travel here, we got alien invasions, we got Dick playing with a lot of different things. In fact, he pulls from two of his better stories in making this, this novel. And this novel, I think, is by and large underappreciated. But um, he, he pulls um, from one story called War Game. And this is the idea that a game could be a significant threat and something that, that could be as much of a threat as a weapon. right? And... In that case, it was a like a board game that, that taught young people not to not to like try to succeed, to try to lose, right? To try to build a surrender mentality in the younger generation. The other story this draws from is is war veteran. We'll start to see in this episode how that story comes to play. That's a story about a time traveling, like a time traveler, or a guy who thinks he's a time traveler, but he's actually a robot. Right, so there's it's the setting, and Dick must have had this vision at some point or seen this was like a an old war veteran sitting in a park, talk telling war stories. But if you make him uh, talking about a war that hasn't happened yet, right, that's interesting enough, right? You just got a time traveling uh, war veteran who can then help people avoid the next war or whatever. But Dick had a twist on that and made it an android that's just programmed to think it's a time traveler, and then it, and it was really there to try to affect history not to change the future and it doesn't quite work out that way in 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 this story but uh the that in in this novel but it's close and this this story war veteran gets pulled in here and um you know dick will continue to borrow ideas from stories and pull them into novels i don't mind it he always changes it though he, he never is like content with just regurgitating the the past plot he always does some new twist on it and doesn't fully change it so some of these uh plot devices he invented in the stories can be used in different ways okay so where we left off in the story we we had lars powder dry and his counterpart lilo topchev have met in iceland and they are going to design a weapon that can stop the alien invasion that has just begun now, traditionally, these people don't invent weapons that are ever used. They make prototypes of the weapons, and, and they're, they, they work, but then they're plowshared immediately. So they're, you know, that, that's the system they have. They, they, they make these weapons, but they don't actually implement them because there's peace in the world. But the people still need to be told there's a war and there's a threat and that the, the other side and the Cold War is dangerous. So they just have this kind of facade. And this is much of the early part of the novel is about Lars Powder Dry's malaise about being part of a system that, he thinks, you know, it's just a waste of his time, right? He, he often calls himself a prima donna and not actually. He, he dreams sometimes of making real weapons. And now's his chance. 
to make uh, a real weapon. So they took the Lilo and Lars are talking about how they are forced to be here, and how this is chapter sixteen, by the way, where I left off last time. They're talking about how they'll they'll actually die if they fail. They'll fail, and that other people will be brought forward. The way they get these weapons is they go into these trance states through drug-induced trance states, and then they essentially dream weapons that they, then they ske make sketches when they're in the trance state, and then those sketches then become the foundation for engineers to make weapons. But they know they're going to die if they fail. The stakes are too high. It's not just a game anymore. Now you know these weapons actually matter. They have to have a weapon that can defeat the the aliens. They spend a lot of this chapter talking about the different drugs they use, and they don't use the same drugs to enter their trance states. Um, but both seem to have real doubts that they can create a real weapon here. Um, Lars at one point talks about a, a drug, Tio Nana Cattle, which is mescaline, which is interesting. Dick sometimes talks about mescaline. He must have done it at some point in his life. Um, but through this conversation, he begins to learn to trust Lilo, but just as this happens, though, one of the drugs he takes gives him a bad effect. And the, the story ends with him kind of entering a, a trance state in a, in a very uncomfortable way. And it has a different effect than usual. And the, the Dick writes, quote, the world was gone. He was dead and a bright, terrible world no man had ever known. And so he enters in some kind of thing. I, I'm reminded of maybe like kind of the weird world that we, we met in, in Lies, Inc. or something, right? Or... or in some of these other stories, this, this alternative reality that's really horrifying and disturbing. We don't get it described in too much detail, but it does really shock Lars when he comes out of it. And that's where chapter 17 starts up, is he wakes up and he's surrounded by these Soviet medical personnel because, you know, they're, they're at like a Soviet base in Iceland. He's also got more bad news that new satellites are coming that I think by this point there was two or three and now there's extra ones And so there's more and more of them um, He says like in the future Lars says in the future We need to have my doctor dr. Tote administer the drugs because what seems to happen is that Lilo You know gave him this drug that was going to give him this bad effect And so she's she's not entirely trustworthy at this point in the minds of Lars or even in the mind of some of the officials who are trying to get these guys to actually develop a, a real weapon that will work There's also when he finally meets up with Lilo again, and they, they kind of make their peace about this we, they, we find that they have very different goals here. Lilo seems to want to escape um, and And she's trying to come up with a plan to do that Lars, though, he wants to insist on continuing the work, and, and this really has to do with his psychology. He, as I said before, he really feels like his job's not useful. And now he finally has a real purpose in life, a purpose of, of making a weapon, and it's to kill aliens, but it's still something, right? It's something that fills in this emptiness in, inside of him. So they're, they're going to continue the work, and we'll see later on that they actually do try to enter his trance state properly, and, and we'll see what they come up with. Chapter 18, we return to this character, uh, Shirley Febbs. And this will be the last time we meet him until basically after the plot of the novel is completed. We'll have one more chapter with this weird character, Shirley Febbs. Um, but he really doesn't, he's just a side character on a side quest. It doesn't really intersect much with the main story, except at a, at a thematic level. Febbs was this gun nut, survivalist type conspiracy theorist, right winger, racist who also happens to be the typical consumer in the United States, who got elected, or not elected, selected 
to be one of the six commodities. These are the people who are most typical of all Americans or all people based on their consumer patterns. And their main job is to take these weapons designs that are, that are created, the prototypes that are created, and then plowshare them, turn them into consumer goods, right? So, but he's got, he's gone to Washington and he's trying to get in and he's not being welcomed. And the reason he's not being welcomed is the situation has changed. It's not, everything's normal. It's not just a game anymore. So the, there's police and secret police and guards and, and they're not letting these commodities in. But surely Febs thinks he has a right to sit on the board of the, of the government. So it's here that we, we enter into the, this war veteran story I mentioned before. So there's an old man he sees in a park talking to himself and he talks about old war stories, right? So this novel is set, I think, in 2004. Yeah, I think it's set in 2004. And, you know, so maybe he's an old guy from like World War II or something, but he doesn't talk about like World War II or the war against the Germans. He talks about the big war or like the or, or the, the grand war or something like that, and which doesn't really seem to have a reference point in people's history. But most people just kind of, you know, look at him and say, eh, well, whatever, he's just an old nut talking about war stories in the park. Right? Maybe he should be in a veterans hospital or something, but he's not. He also, though, talks about games to Febs, particularly Monopoly. And Febs isn't a game player. Febs is a, a gun nut. But uh, he tries to make a case for, for you know, the, the value of playing Monopoly a lot. We see Shirley, Fe Shirley Febs going into his conspiracy theory mode as well here, which he always does. But like all conspiracy theorists, his big idea is that what actually happens in the world happens for a reason and that reason is some group of people who are controlling the show from behind the scenes and here's how he sums it up he says west block is an economic political gestalt the ultimate responsibility for the effective functioning on which rests on the shoulders of the heterogeneous board comprised of and then when he finds out that the meetings are going on without him a one of the six concavities, one of the most important people in the in the government, in his view, he starts to say that this is all just a kangaroo court. This is all just a, like a coup d'état of sorts. And so he is going to step up and and save the system from its own, uh, you know, from the military and from the people who are really running the show. Now, General Nitz, who is kind of a representative of the government throughout the novel. He arrives to Febs, talks to him, and, and Febs, of course, demands to be let in. He threatens legal actions and things, but he doesn't have much success. And, and basically, the general is trying to get rid of, rid of him. And another woman arrives, claiming to also be a Kamkadi, because, of course, six are selected. Six are selected, and then they, they're supposed to go to Washington to serve on the sport. And they all eventually come, but the second one that he meets is Martha Raines. Now, obviously... This inspires Febs. Febs is a conspiracy theorist. He's a movement culture kind of guy, although it's right-wing movements. He's into like this, you know, forming movements, right, to challenge the people in power. So he sees a chance here to to form a movement, really, on behalf of the Kamikaze. So that's what's going to happen from now to the end of the novel. Is is he's going to form a secret society, a revolutionary group with the core of these six commodities whose job it will be to overthrow the, the government. 
Now, the key thing here is, and why commodities aren't needed anymore, is because they're going to go to war. And that's something the, the war veteran, although we don't know he's from the future yet, you know, sort of suggests. We, if we actually need these weapons, there's no need to plowshare them. There's no need for these six people to do it anymore. So it's... The system's been disrupted by this this presence of uh, of an alien. And this is something Dick has done before. He, he did it in a very good early novel he wrote called *The World Jones Made*, uh, a novel I quite like. But anyways, after all this, uh, Febs after finding Martha Raines, Febs is inspired to start this movement, and he seeks out the other commodities, and he he exits stage left, at least until the final pages of the of the novel. Chapter 19, Lars is still in Iceland, still working with Lilo Topchev. He's now very comfortable with working with the enemy, and this is something that, that kind of shocks him. And again, we're reminded that they're, they're enemies, but they're not real enemies, right? There, there is an agreement of how the system is working, that they're only going to be enemies really in, in image, in perception, and how, in, in the sense of how the commoners, the percepts, see them. But nevertheless, you know, it is Soviet military police and officials and things. But he does start to feel comfortable about the enemy. He still worries about a replacement, though. He worries that if he can't find a weapon of sorts, that he will be eventually executed or, or gotten rid of or lose his job and his fame and, and, and everything else. But not much really happens in this chapter except that they go into their trance state. And he goes in with Lilo. So normally they do it separately, but... They go together into their trance state, and later on he wakes up after he's in the trance state, and usually there's like a sketch. And there is, in this case, again, a sketch next to him. That's something he drew while he's in the, in the trance um, state, and it's a steam donkey engine, a steam engine donkey, or a steam donkey engine is how it's called. Um, and it doesn't seem to be very useful for writing aliens, so it seems to be a failure. Lilo also came up with one, and the one she came up with was a rat trap. So these are not actual weapons, obviously, but it seems that it's, it's, the trans state was a failure, and that now there's a real doubt whether that these two people are going to be able to, to find a weapon that's going to, to stop these, these aliens. Chapter 20, we get uh, some debriefing here on, in several different ways. First, we find out more about the aliens. Second, we find out more about the trans state. And, and I guess to a lesser degree, third, is just them coming to terms with the fact that they're failing and where they go from here. You know, is there a point in trying again? Um, but as chapter 20 begins, they're mostly still talking about the failure. But now that an another satellite has come, increasing the threat, the alien threat, and they find out that they can set up a field that affects Earth. And... And although they can't really have contact with the place under this field, it seems to have disappeared. So New Orleans is gone. New Orleans has been just lifted and taken away um, from Earth. Now, now, they can't really see it. The scanners can't get into, into New Orleans, but they know that the mass of, of the planet is less or something. They, they somehow are able to measure the mass. And the theory then becomes, and this turns out to be true, it's never really contradicted in any way, the theory is that these are slavers from another planet. And that these slavers are basically here to find workers. And they find human workers useful because they have opposable thumbs. And they're just taking up whole cities of people into their ships, into their satellites, and then, I guess, sending them off, off to work. So that, we, we, we learn something about the aliens here. But the key here is 
they start to piece together the relationship between the weapons they've developed, the weapons they've um, imagined in their trance states, and this comic book, The Blue Cephalopod Man. Lilo it, looks at it for the first time. Now, Lars had seen it before, and he already saw the connection between his weapons and this. And his assumption was that they're plagiarizing his weapons. So that's, that's all. Lilo is shocked to see that her weapons are in it as well. Um, now, they look at the dates. They compare the dates that they had the trance state and developed the weapons compared to the dates in the comic book. And they find out that these were actually published earlier than, than the then the weapons were, were developed. So it's not that the comic book is copying them. It's that the comic book is the source. So somehow during their trance states, they don't, they go to this one specific comic book. The mind of this one author is their source when they enter these trance states. So, you know, both Lilo and Lars is doing it. And this is a really interesting idea. A nice little twist on this thing. Now, of course, the, the more rational-minded people initially think that like, maybe there's a leak, right? Like, you know, right away, someone found Lars's pictures and sent them off to this writer. But there's really no evidence of that, and the dates don't really line up. So it's the source. Now, why is this a problem for them? Well, it's a problem because it means they no longer need these mediums to design weapons. They can just look at a comic book or like any, or more profoundly, anyone with imagination in a pen and pencil could do what Lars and Lilo do. There's nothing special about it. And maybe you've been thinking the same thing as you read this novel. Like why go through this elaborate process to, to have a medium pull these weapons off from some kind of cloud and then develop them? Why not just have someone sit down with, with a notebook and design the cool weapons, right? Because they're not going to really matter in the end. It's just, and you just need enough of a prototype, a tryout, and then, then they're plowshared anyways. But for whatever reason, this world found it useful to have this weapons designer character figure doing this. But that's the real danger, that now the government can just go to these comic books and, and pull the designs from there, and, never, and they won't need them, and they'll lose their position. It also means that they're not doing anything special. So, so the problem there is that means they are, they're not going to be able to find a way to, to find, develop a weapon that can stop the aliens, because you know, their designs are just basically comic book sketches. So chapter 21 then starts to consider the question of what's going to happen to... What's going to happen to this artist and all this? And Lilos predicts that, quote, they won't blame him. They'll just shake him down. They'll pick him up and bring him to the Soviet Union, to the Pavlov Institute, try with all they have available to see what they can get out that they haven't already gotten out of us, just in case it might be there. I'm glad I'm not him, so, end quote. So it's kind of a sad fate for this, this artist. And later on, they are able to track down who this artist is. Lars calls his company, Pete, Pete Fries, Fried, uh, and he, he gives him an order that he's just supposed to go through all these comics, all these blue cephalopod comics, look at everything that Lilo has drawn, everything that he has drawn and designed, and then find any other weapons in the comic books or any other devices or technologies and then to document those and to make up specs for them. So this is the plan is just to get a, get a, get those patents out there and get the get the jump on competitors who may, um, you know, if the government would decide they just don't need them anymore. Also, it will, if there's anything there that can be used against the aliens, 
he wants to know about them. So go right to the source rather than go through the trans state. state. However, Lilo and Lars are still working together despite these setbacks. They get stuff about the author. His name is Oral Gramacomi. And he was kind of like a mental patient at one point he, and an inventor. And he actually had some patented inventions that seemed kind of interesting. But, you know, the, the, but he's basically kind of a crazy guy who's been doing these comic books. It's at this point that the FBI, quote unquote, saves Lars. Lars was going to work with Lilo, but the alliance has been breaking down. It's interesting that as long as the lie was necessary and both people shared in the lie, this alliance was, was kind of stable. And it was an alliance based on this kind of presumption of, of fear or, you know, the, the public perception of fear. But deep down, there's an alliance. But when there's a common threat, with aliens, instead of coming together and working together more, the government start to butt heads a little bit. And so the FBI actually comes and saves Lars. And we see the alliance between Lilo and Lars and between Peep East and West Block uh, fracturing. So chapter 22 returns us to the war veteran subplot back in Washington. And none of our major, major characters are here except the war veteran himself. And he's continuing to blab. And finally, some people go and listen to his war stories and they start to investigate and ask him questions. And they specifically look at his medals. And the medals are labeled for 2005, which is next year. And he starts to talk about this great war or the big war and explains that the enemies were slavers from Sirius, right? So it seems he is talking about a war that is going to come in the future due to the arrival of these uh, slavers. And that's going to take us a long, bloody, costly war. That's going to take many years to, 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 to win. It's not going to be something that can be solved. It doesn't seem to be something that can be solved very quickly with one weapon, right? But he continues to tell these stories. And that's all that happens in Chapter 22. Chapter 23 just picks up on this, and we see Lars and Peter together. Lars, always depressed, as he is throughout the whole novel. Now he's depressed that the satellite builders are going to win, and humanity will be enslaved or ended. Um, but he, he also hears through Peter the story of the war veteran. And so since the ch events of Chapter 22, it's become well known, at least in the inner circles, that there seems to be a guy from the future telling stories that may provide the key to winning the war against the, the slavers. So this brings Lars back to, to Washington, to the meeting of the, of the council. Uh, and he thinks that this is going to be like one of the final meetings. Or Lars comes in with this fatalism about the future of humanity, um, the possible final, final meeting. But they reveal to him the time traveler. The time traveler goes by the name of Ricardo Hastings. And he talks about the weapon that, well, he's very vague at times. He never specifically says, like, this is the weapon that defeats the slavers. He talks vaguely in stories or abstractions or, or broad things. He does talk about a time warp page generator, which seems to be some type of time travel device, which might be how he got to the past. Lars says that he should just give Ricardo to Pete Freed, his weapons designer and engineer. And, you know, the problem is he's too old and we can't keep him around and wait. So just take him there, have him recite all the weapons he knows from the future and then have Peter make prototypes of them. And so that, that's Lars's contribution to it. Um, the other solution that they, they sort of give and they encourage Lars to, to participate in this is to 
is to use a trance state to access the weapons that are in Ricardo's mind. Because Ricardo's going to be too old and feeble and, and forgetful to really calmly articulate what these weapons are. So the plan is to use this trance state to then access the weapons. And so that's going to be the plan that leads to the climax of the novel, right? Directly downloading from the mind of this person using either Lilo or, or Lars to do it. Chapter 25, this is the last chapter I'll look at today. We're getting close to the end of the novel. Uh, there'll be plenty of material to talk about in the, in the final part, though. Actually, I think this part three, this third part of the novel, uh, what is it, chapters 16 through, through 25, it's mostly plot-driven. It, it's not really as thematically interesting as the others. Um, you know, the, the, the introduction of the war veteran is the best part of this section of the novel, it seems to me. But Lars returns to New York after the meeting in Washington with Lilo, and they're going to prepare to do their trance state on the on a specific figure. So I don't think it's really well explained in this novel at all how this works. You know why they go to the comic book when they normally just do a straight up trance state, trance state, and why is it then possible with Ricardo in the room that they can kind of commune, you know, medium through him. Maybe it can be directed through different drugs or whatever. It's it's not fully explained. Now, Marin comes and she sees Lilo and she's filled with jealousy and rage and anger. And she starts like berating and yelling at Lilo. And, and she pulls out this weapon, which is described in the book by Dick as a, as a full-blown evil weapon. I mean, to some degree, all weapons can be used for evil intent, right? But the, the weapon here is described as evil. It's a really nasty little device, though. Quote, the filth-encrusted and yet clean, shiny little gadget expelled once would have been certified as a dum-dum cartridge and in its primordial state of technological development. But the cartridge had evolved over the years. It still possessed the essential ingredient, that of, an explode, that of exploding when it contacted its target. But in addition, it did more. Its fragments continued to detonate, reaping an endless harvest that spread over the body of the victim and everything near him. And so she actually shoots. She's shooting at Lilo, right? And then Lars, you know flees. He, he thinks Lilo's dead. He, he gets out of there. He's afraid for his own life at this point. And sometime later, after this very bizarre um, kind of mental state he's in for a little while, he, he's convinced Lilo's dead. Um, but he calls Pete, and he doesn't get Pete. It's one of the people under him. And he calls Jack, the other person under him, his better friend. He gets no answer from them. So eventually he's able to get access to some government people who are going to explain to him what's going on. And eventually is told that Marin actually killed herself with this weapon. And Lars was actually out of it for a long time period, like a bunch of hours because of a trance state. They, they, so much time has elapsed that they were actually able to have the funeral for, for Marin and they actually tried to delay it, hoping Lars would show up. And he gets all the stories from, uh, from I think it's General Nibs. Nibs that tells him it. Um, and she actually took like six hours to die, and the weapon's really nasty. Um, and he finally goes and kind of says, okay, well, what's going on with this, this, with this time traveler? And Lilo has already begun the process of, of trancing into the, in the time traveler, but the only sketches she gets are androids, sketches of androids, not sketches of weapons from the future. So that that takes us really to um, that takes us through chapter twenty five. There's 
maybe eight or nine more chapters in the novel. And we'll talk about those in the next episode. So as I said, I think there's not that much thematic here to focus on. Um, it's mostly plot-driven. We see Marin kill herself, which is actually a, almost a plot device so Philip Dick can have Lilo and Lars together without kind of undermining his morality on monogamy. Philip Dick, he, he, has some, he has some kind of fetish for monogamy that may seem old-fashioned to people now. Maybe it was even old-fashioned in the sexual revolution of the 60s, but, you know, he, you know, there are a handful of characters who are, like, openly and avowed non-monogamists. Like, there was that one character in Dr. Blood Money, but it, that's even something she has to work through, and she's praised by the author for, for working through that. Um, adulterous wives are always presented in a bad way. And so he somehow wants Lars to end up with Lilo, but he has to get rid of this mistress first. So he can act this scene to have her kill herself. I think that's the only reason it's in here, actually. I don't think there's any other reason to have this little um, moment. Most interestingly is like the purpose, we've learned the purpose of the aliens. The aliens are here as slave traders. Um, and we're going to learn a little bit more about the slavers later on, too, that they're kind of chitinous creatures that really don't have the physical ability to do some work so they draft labor but that they, they also see humanity as essentially a sub like a type of bug almost they don't they don't value them ethically and then we have the war veteran who shows up with um his stories of a war from the future so good stuff Never, uh still um, again i like this novel i encourage you to read it and if you're reading along with me for the next episode check out chapters 26 through through 33 so that's it for now. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time when I do the finale of, of my review and thoughts on the Zap Gun. You must search till you find the bluebird. You will find peace and contentment forever. If you